This podcast episode reflects the opinions of the guests and not of Brown Rudnick. This episode is presented for informational purposes only and is not intended to be construed or used as general legal advice nor a solicitation of any type. Brown Rudnick does not represent that the securities, products, or services discussed in this podcast are suitable for any particular investor. Hello and welcome to COP26 and the Energy Transition, a conversation with Brown Rudnick. This series of interviews will give you an insider's look at some of the exciting companies and technologies participating in Greenbackers 26 for COP26 Super Pitch Showcase. I'm Sarah Mullaney. And I'm Jimmy Morrissey. And we are with the international law firm Brown Rudnick, a sponsor of Greenbackers Showcase, Climate Innovation Super Pitch. The 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, is the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference. Greenbackers have chosen 26 companies to present their emerging technologies during COP26. The goal is to power growth in the clean tech industry and supercharge the energy transition by providing these companies with a platform on the world stage. COP26 is the largest and most important global climate summit in many years, and we at Brown Rudnick are excited to have an opportunity to work with these talented entrepreneurs and green backers on the Climate Innovation Super Pitch. Brown Rudnick has one of the most active legal practices in clean tech and energy transition in the UK and US, and Brown Rudnick's clients are actively involved in searching for new technologies that will enable the transition towards a net zero world. Through this podcast series and the Super Pitch, we look forward to hearing more about some of the pioneering companies leading the clean tech revolution. For more information on COP26, Greenbackers, the Super Pitch, and Brown Rudnick, please click on the links we've left in the show notes. Today, we're lucky to have Neil Riddle, the co-founder and CEO of electric car charging startup, Power. Neil is an engineer with many years of varied experience in the energy industry. Neil has worked for and with large utilities, nonprofits, and startups, but has built his career around the decarbonisation of the economy. We're really excited to speak with him today. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Great. So let's start with Power. What is it and what are your goals? So at Power, we're trying to simplify public electric vehicle charging. And we're doing that with a a digital first approach where we're aggregating multiple charge point networks across the UK. It's probably interesting to understand that there's about 75 different charge point networks in the UK today, which potentially requires drivers to have access to subscriptions or cards for those 75 different networks. So what we're really trying to do is make that experience easier. And on that journey, we've established that people who have the biggest problem in this space are those fleet managers who are trying to electrify their fleet. So we're building this as an electric fuel card solution to help them access a single tool for public charging and gain a single bill, which covers many thousands of charge points. You've worked in energy and with electric vehicles for a number of years. Can you talk a bit about your experience in the conventional energy industry and how that led you to come up with the idea for power? Sure, no worries, Jimmy. It's uh, probably worth digging into a little bit of history there. So I trained as a chemical engineer, and at the time, I thought the oil and gas industry was where I wanted to begin my career. However, after four years of doing my degree, I realized it was more clean tech and renewable. So as a consequence, I uh, landed a job working in the nuclear industry, uh, decontaminating radioactive waste streams and decommissioning old nuclear facilities. Uh, That was a job at the time with the RWE group, 
Um, and that led me into British Energy. And British Energy were the operator of the UK's nuclear power stations. Within about a week of uh, starting that new role, uh, my boss at the time, a very forward-thinking gentleman called Dr. Chris Anastasi, turned to me and said, hey, Neil, how do you fancy a secondment? So within a week of having arrived at this new business, I was back out the door again. Um, and he seconded me into a small team, which went on to become the secretariat for the Committee on Climate Change. And of course, no one had heard of them back then. And this was 2007, pre the actual climate change budgets and just after the Stern report. But it sounded interesting. So I said yes. I spent the next nine months working with a, a, a very dedicated team, many of whom still work there today, writing uh, the proposals for the world's first legally binding carbon targets. And on that journey, I realized that this was probably the direction of travel for the whole of the industry. Um, and not just the electricity industry, but heating, transport, production, manufacturing. And we needed we had a, a big problem ahead of us and we needed to resolve it. So I came away from that with this view that basically we needed to decarbonize electricity and then electrify everything. So I went back to uh, British Energy. Shortly after that, uh, I ended up being acquired by EDF Energy. EDF bought that company. And I moved into a new role where I was looking at strategy. And my job was to look 25 years into the future at what the future of the energy industry might look like. And unfortunately, despite having a huge team and a lot of resource, we missed the solar boom. So we, we had about two gigawatts in our forecast, and we ended up with about 15 gigawatts on the ground. So how did that happen? I got kind of obsessed with the idea that there was these new emerging uh, distributed energy technologies. And as a consequence, I, uh, I started volunteering with a company that was doing that. It was building rooftop solar schemes in central London. Uh, that company was Repowering London who are themselves a, a community benefit society. They're, they're doing this on behalf of the communities that they serve. So I suddenly got an exposure to a completely different part of the energy market, having come from an organization that was making multi-million, if not multi-billion pound investments in energy assets, to one that was investing tens of thousands in, in kilowatt scale schemes. And that exposed me to a new part of the energy ecosystem. I went on to uh, look at distributed energy assets, battery storage assets. I did a lot of work around the West Burton B um, 49 megawatt enhanced frequency response battery, which was built um, a number of years ago as one of the first large batteries in the UK. And variously ended up in roles looking at virtual power plants, the digitization of energy technology before ending up as the head of the electric vehicle team at EDF Energy. And that was when I got my first insights as to what the world of electric vehicles looks like with an infrastructure hat on, uh, not a car hat. I'm not a car person. And what, what I was seeing was um, a very early stage market with a huge scope for growth, but also enormous number of different problems in that ecosystem. And one of the problems I identified was this ability to access public charging as a driver. And that stuck with me, that experience at EDF. And as a consequence, that's what led partially to us building the solution we're building at Power today. So you've had quite the journey and met a number of people. Who else is building Power with you? So I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, when I was with Repowering London, I met a, a colleague called Andre Pino. Andre has built his entire career on digitising energy assets, um, turning them into IoT devices, enabling you to digitally control them. And I sat down with Andre during that uh, period of time when I was reflecting on my own career path and what I wanted to do. And we discussed building a business and quite quickly we established that we were at a similar point in our careers and we had the good fortune to say something like this. I said, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. This is how I think we do it. And he turned back to me and said, oh, I think that sounds quite straightforward. Uh, so as a consequence, we found ourselves planning to build a business together. And then, of course, alongside that, because Andre and I are both engineers, there's my wife, Amelia. And Amelia translates our engineering thoughts 
into something that is so much more important to the driver, which is something they can understand. We've talked a bit about the, you know, the obstacles in electrifying transport. Can you talk a little bit more about how power is tackling these issues specifically? Yeah. So one of the things I like to say to people is I often ask people if they're electric vehicle drivers. Uh, it's an important step in the journey to understand the ecosystem. I then start to describe how um, a petrol or diesel driver might experience charging or refueling compared to an, an EV driver. And what I tend to say is, uh, you know, you're driving down the highway, you're driving down the motorway, you're looking for, you're running low on fuel, you look for a big red and yellow sign or a big green and yellow sign. You pull in, you've got a couple of choices on that forecourt, petrol, diesel, the nozzle fits your vehicle, you fill it up, a couple of minutes later, you walk in, you pull out your credit card, you pay the bill, you're handed a receipt, you climb back in your car and off you go again. Electric vehicle driving and recharging is fundamentally different experience. Those who have the, the benefit of access to a home charger will charge at home overnight. It's a dream situation. You go to bed, you wake up, the car is full. That's brilliant. But if you're out on the road, then you need to plan much more. You need to find these charge points, and they're not always obvious uh, where they are. They're hidden in the corner of a car park. They might even be you know, behind some device down a small street. And as a consequence, the ability to find these charge points is really important. And then when you arrive at the charge point, you need to know it's the right one. Um, has it got the right connector for your vehicle and does it charge at the right speed and the speed of charging can vary significantly from a number of hours through to a 15 or 20 minute stop you also want to know that there's probably more than one charge at that location and even then once the once the charge event starts you're going to be there for 20 to 30 minutes at minimum and crucially you can't always pay with a credit card although there's an emerging number of charge points with credit card readers on them it's not always the standard and if even if you could pay with a credit card you've got the problem associated with receipts. And what this means is that from a fleet perspective, it's almost operationally impossible to build public electric vehicle charging into your strategy. So for us, this is the big problem we're fixing. But the other big problem that we've identified in the marketplace and that I think most in the industry are aware of is there's a huge amount of new information required. Uh, as you transition from a conventional petrol or diesel vehicle or a petrol or diesel fleet, you suddenly need to consider a whole range of additional aspects. And this question of uh, providing the right knowledge, right information to the right people at the right time is something that fundamentally drives me personally and part of the reason why I like to have conversations like this. So what sets Power apart from other platforms? This is a great question and one I enjoy answering. So one of the first things that uh, we find people will do when they, they're thinking about electric vehicle charging is they will go onto something like the App Store and they'll Google electric vehicle charging, or they'll search in the app store for that, that term, and they'll discover that there's lots and lots and lots of apps out there. And as I mentioned, there's sort of 75 networks in the UK. That's not too dissimilar across Europe. You know, 70-odd networks in each country means you've got hundreds of different networks across Europe. Each of them, or many of them, come with their own app. Many of them come with their own RFID card. So one of the first things that we do to differentiate ourselves from others is we aggregate multiple charge points together. This for us is a crucial feature in that it enables drivers to have less apps or less cards that they need to carry around to access more charges. The second thing we think that's really important is we're doing this as a digital first solution. So we're able to provide the mapping capability, the real-time data, the ability to interface with the charge point from your mobile phone so that you can drive that charger as an IoT device, an Internet of Things device. Uh, you can start, you can stop during your charge cycle, you can see what the status is. 
you know that you're continuing to charge, you know that you're getting the power into your car that you need. And at the end of it, we enable that payment cycle. So by being digital first, um, we're able to do things like introduce other layers of data. So if we use things like mobile phone data or geolocation data, we can start to enable some really interesting features, uh, which take us above and beyond where others are. One of the things we're most proud of is um, a capability we've developed uh, called plug and charge. So those who drive Teslas will be familiar with this concept. You pull in at a charger in the Tesla ecosystem, you plug the Tesla into the charge point and the two speak to each other and the charge starts automatically. We're enabling that Tesla charging experience for any modern electric car. So you can take a Renault Zoe, which is what we demonstrated with. You can pull it up at a charge point, you can plug it in and the charging takes care of itself. For us, this fundamentally simplifies that charging experience. When I got very excited and told my wife what we'd done in this space, she turned back to me and said, I thought you could do that already. And the bit that I love about that is as we go from early adopters and the innovators who own these electric cars today to those who are going to be being the mainstream purchasers over the next three to five years, we're going to see that expression a lot of times. I thought you could do that. You know, we're used to the, the Netflix, the iPhone era. So the idea that you can't just plug in and charge is, is crazy to some. So enabling that ecosystem for any modern electric car is something that we feel really differentiates our proposition. Where have you deployed your technology thus far and where do you envision expanding to? So we've pr primarily been UK focused to date. Uh, that's really a, a matter of history and a matter of our personal connections and network. Um, the UK is one of the, it's one of the top three uh, car markets in Europe. So as a consequence, it's a sizable market in its own right. But particularly because of my own background in this space, we focused on uh, utilizing the networks and the connections we've got in this ecosystem and our understanding of how that, that British electric vehicle infrastructure ecosystem is building to enable us to put together the, the first components of our technology. We have, by virtue of some of the relationships we've made, uh, enabled ourselves to get a toehold across other areas in Europe. But the reality is we remain focused very much on bringing this solution to life here in the UK. That's our home market. Now, the UK is still one country, but there is a differentiator in that Scotland has a fundamentally different ecosystem. So we do see Scotland as an important next step. Uh, and the reason I say it's different is you have Charge Place Scotland, which is operated by the Scottish government uh, or operated primarily by Swaco on behalf of the Scottish government. We see that Scottish ecosystem as quite an important step in enabling our British fleets to be able to have a common and harmonised experience from one end of the country to the other. It's highly likely that uh, we will then expand towards other European countries, um, Ireland and Portugal, probably um, some obvious targets for us. But above and beyond that, we would see uh, North America and various regions of Australasia as being an important part in our ecosystem as well. The reality is the underlying mission that we have is to decarbonise transport. If we can decarbonise transport with our small part in it, by making that public charging ecosystem easier, then we believe we're playing our part in the overall decarbonisation of transport. So can you tell us how much you've raised to date, um, how much you're looking to raise and how you'll invest the capital? Andre and I uh, started our fundraising exercise back in March 2020. And as many people remember, March 2020 wasn't the best time to be doing anything. Uh, in particular, we noticed that there was something called coronavirus. So we both took a step backwards and looked at the world as it stood. We were fortunate over that summer to win some funding from uh, Innovate UK, so some government grant money, which enabled us to build our base proposition. Um, alongside that, we won some money from the Department for Transport which enabled us to build that plug and charge capability that I um, talked about a moment ago. 
So we've raised about 200,000 to date, and we're looking to raise another 500,000 in the coming months. This is primarily going to be focused on tech development. We, we have a, a working product, which uh, we're currently selling to customers. However, we need to refine that. We need to make it slicker and faster, and ultimately need to build in more networks to enable us to create more value for the customer. And as I mentioned, we're really focused on the plug-in charge capability. Plug-in charge for us is an important piece of the, the driver ecosystem. So we've got some work to do to refine that and turn it into a truly commercial product. So tech development's a big focus for us. It sounds like you have so many great initiatives going on uh, right now. What would you say your biggest or most primary goal is over the next 12 months? I, this is a, an interesting, important question, but one which um, it has a rather boring answer. The number one thing that an early stage company needs to think about is cash. So I need to make sure there's enough cash in the bank to continue to develop the product and the proposition further. And that has to be my my starting point at this early stage in our business. And then when you look at what we're doing as a business model, we're, we're an aggregator. We're a platform business. We have two sides to that platform. One side is the networks, the charge point operators. And the other side of that is the drivers, the fleets. So we're having to level up on both of those uh, sides of that equation. So we're fortunate now that we've got in the region of around uh, 2,000, soon to be 3,000 connectors on the ecosystem. Um, and we've got a number of drivers who are testing, trialing, and feeding that back to uh, that information on their experience back to us. So we refine our product against that driver feedback. How do we make, how do we listen to those drivers, create that really simple driver experience? And then how do we extend that network? So for us, this um, the next six to 12 months is all about doing that network and driver development to create a, a truly stable ecosystem. But within that, we've got some big strategic questions we need to be answering. We're very excited about the potential to offer this to B2C customers. Uh, but is that really the important focus for us or is actually the B2B market the core focus that we need to be sticking with? How do we develop the plug and charge ecosystem to make it commercially viable for as many vehicles as possible? And this is something that we're going to be focusing on as we go through that six to 12 months. But in principle, my primary focus is making sure we've got enough cash to develop the business and then building out that network and providing value to those drivers. You can really tell that you're passionate about um, the environment and decarbonization and building up the network what would you say to somebody who is thinking about getting involved in clean tech if you had to look at your journey so far there are so many things i could say at this stage which i find quite exciting the thing that probably is most relevant at this point in, in anyone's journey is is the old chinese proverb when was the best time to plant a tree well the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time to plant a tree is today. So if you're seriously thinking about changing your career, moving into clean tech, then don't wait, start today. Now, that said, I myself have procrastinated significantly over that experience for a very long period of time, I would say about 10 years. I completed my MBA 10 years ago. And when I came away from my MBA, I said, someday I would like to start a company. And it did take me 10 years until, as a good friend said, I grew the balls to be able to actually build that company. So I've started that journey. But what I did in the 10 years in between, I knew that I was going to do this one day. So I took the time to build a set of skills that I thought would be useful. The reality is that, um, as I'm learning and many will tell you, there's a whole bunch of things you just don't know you need to learn until you build a company. But you can take the time to lay the groundwork for all the skill sets you might need if you're going to go down this road. I'm very early in my journey, and I'm sure in five years' time I'll have a bunch more lessons. 
But one of the things I've been able to do is surround myself with other people who know what this ecosystem looks like and can provide me with feedback. And I'm very, very lucky that I have enough uh, contacts and networks and mentors within this ecosystem that I can reach out to a range of people and get that feedback. And the only way I've been able to do that is by having conversations. And I have a lot of conversations, as many people will tell you. Uh, few people probably get bored of the sound of my voice. But um, I would genuinely advocate to others to build your network, uh, make connections. And I would like to offer the opportunity for anyone who's listening or is interested to have a conversation with me. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, so you can chase me on LinkedIn. Um, but I'm very open to having a conversation, talking to people at any stage in their journey. And what surprises me is, despite making this offer on many occasions, it's only a very small proportion of people that do actually reach out and ask for that conversation. And I don't think to date I've ever turned anyone down for one of those conversations. So reach out to people, have the conversations, build your knowledge set, and then start today. This was really, truly a fascinating uh, discussion and an inspiring one, Neil. Can you let everyone know how they can learn more about power and how they can get in touch with you to have that conversation you just spoke of? I welcome any conversation with anyone who might be interested in getting in contact with us. We're on the internet. Um, we're spelt power, P-A-U-A, tech.com. Uh, my email address is neil at powertech.com. Or if you're interested in any of the other Greenbackers, Superpitch uh, competitors like ourselves who are part of that COP26 program, then look up Greenbackers. They have a, a very clear link on their website. Um, or equally, join us and connect with us on LinkedIn you'll find that the Greenbackers team are doing a great job of promoting us and putting us into the public domain. Um, and I look forward to all those conversations. Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us today, Neil, um, and describing power and, and the great work that you're doing. Um, we also just want to um, thank Greenbackers for pulling all of this together. We'll see you soon. If you have feedback on today's episode, please contact communications at brownrudnick.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.